strength and knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast edition here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I am Steve Day. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. And we would love it if you would join us. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E, and we just wrapped up production for today's CRTV show. It's our weekly Dace Group Roundtable, our week in review. You don't want to miss it. If you're not yet a subscriber to CRTV, today's a good day to subscribe. Use my name as a promo code at CRTV.com. I mean, what a way to celebrate the first day of fall, right? I mean, that's completely a meaningless gesture, but just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, CRTV.com, promo code DACE, and that will get you a discounted subscription that's only going to run you about a quarter a day for our show and every single other show at CRTV, from Steven Crowder to Mark Levin, uh, Michelle Malkin, the entire team here at CRTV, just a quarter a day at CRTV.com. Promo code DACE, though, that's the one you've got to use. D-E-A-C-E, CRTV.com, promo code DACE. All right, gentlemen, it is a Feedback Friday. We take a look at some of the more uh, interesting. It can be critical. It can be affirming, although it's often not. Uh, feedback that we have determined we're going to respond to during the course uh, of a show from recent days. Are you guys ready to go? Let's do it. Absolutely. All right, this is an email from Michael Moyer. He writes, I generally like your show. You guys know what's coming next, right? But... <laughs> That's... That started out promising. What's wrong with you, cucks? Uh, Just yes. leave out the generally, and we'll leave it there. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, if this was a, if this was the old Telegraph days, you should have said, "I generally like your show." Stop. Yeah. Send no more. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yes, that that's. It, it, the, here's how you know Michael doesn't live in the South is he didn't start with a bless your heart. Bless your heart. Yeah. All right. So he lives in another region of the country. All right. Th- because this is how every other region of the country does some form of passive aggressive is this disclaimer right here. I generally like your show, especially at the opening segment. So a little props for you, Aaron. Uh, uh, and I like anytime Daniel Horowitz is away. I want you guys to keep that away? in mind. Or is on. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, oh, we boy. went right past <laughs> passive aggressive to... Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Screw that guy. Yeah, yeah. My bad. Uh, reading is fundamental, kids. Uh, learn your phonics. Now, now, remember the part where you just say you like Daniel Horowitz in a minute. Okay? Oh, boy. He's the best, he says about Daniel. Okay? But I'm tired beyond words, often ticked, in fact, by your pearl-clutching and insistent incessant trump bashing no he's not the messiah never thought he was never cared he wasn't but i gotta tell you i'm sick and tired of your sanctimonious sermons now before i go on does 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 daniel horowitz come on here and fluff trump does he come on here and slurp trump every week don't we call him the prophet of lamentation and no not in the least that's why i'm confused i'm completely confused but i'll continue um, no one wants to watch three grown Midwestern men mollycoddle each other because the precious tenets of their specific strain of conservatism isn't being promulgated. Wah, 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 you're a bunch of little babies. Stop losing your poo, grow the F up, except he spilled the word out, and, and put up your big boy pants. It's because of you and your ilk, in my opinion, that we got stuck with Obama for eight years. Yet once intellectually honest conservatives and evangelicals woke up and realized how badly they messed up in 2008 and 2012 by staying home, they embraced Trump. Actually, the voter turnout was lower in 2016 than 2012. Anybody? I stopped caring a while ago. Yeah, that's actually, but anyway. I've got, uh, I've got, I've got a take on this, just so you know. Okay, yeah, because I, I definitely want to hear it. They embraced Trump as their only hope to save the republic, and he did. He did, he writes in all caps. I'm grateful. I'm grateful beyond words. I give thanks to God every day. Every day, he then has in all caps with three exclamation points. I, I don't understand if you have been given, if salvation is nigh, why are you... 
I, 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 that's not a moment to be mad or angry about anything. I don't understand. Yeah, be at okay? peace, brother. Remember, he says, you're responsible for your own salvation, not ours. Stop being disgusted that we chose to overlook the means in order to justify the ends. So, Aaron, you said you have a response to this. Go ahead. What, what's this guy's name? Michael Moyer. Michael. Michael, um, you actually have raised several good points, chief of which is... I got nothing. (laughs) My response is that uh, great line from uh, they'd earned him an Oscar, uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive, when Harrison Ford is uh, pleading his case to him. I don't care. Yes. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, Let me try, though, to address this somewhat intellectually. Not that you guys didn't, but take him seriously, I guess, is a better way of putting it. Okay. First of all, um, I am not responsible for my own salvation. Amen. Or anybody else's. Again, this reminds me of, an. maybe it was just last week we had an email similar to this or the week before. This is where there's a worldview difference. You and I, Michael, don't have the same worldview. And I think, you know, And this is a major mistake the Christian church has made. We may agree on some public policy issues, but it doesn't mean we have the same worldview whatsoever. See, I'm not allowed by my, my worldview doesn't permit me to make most of the moral calculations on a self-righteous level that you make in your email. And that's not even to say that the, the calculations you're making are wrong. My my worldview tells me I'm not even supposed to entertain these notions. That there's a certain that 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 this kingdom is not my home. That my ultimate um, desire uh, is is not the things of this world. And I think Michael, you understand this on some level, because I think your own conscience betrays you here. For if you really believed you had been saved, and if you really believed what you were watching was your salvation at hand and playing itself out, and you really, in your heart of hearts, you really believed this was the fulfillment of your desires and and that Blaise Pascal hole in your heart, you wouldn't bother being frustrated by anything we're saying. You'd have peace, joy, contentment, there, there, there wouldn't be any contention. The contention comes when those things aren't satisfied. Or you feel as if, why aren't you as contented by the things I'm contented by? What's funny is, Michael, you are guilty of exactly what you're accusing me of. You are claiming that I should be satisfied with the current situation. And beyond satisfied, I should be I should be buoyant about it. I should have contentment about it. I should realize that my salvation is here. And the fact that I don't realize that is why I push back. Why are you pushing back then? If you do realize it, what are you pushing back against? You would only push back if you had doubts too. You know, whenever I get these emails, there's always something missing. You guys know what it is? The part where someone tells me what I've said about something is specifically not true or wrong. Well, that's why I gave up on it so early. That that part's always missing. What you want me to do is pat you on the head and rub your belly and tell you everything's going to be all right. That's really what you want. You want me to take a look at your idol, Michael, and say, by golly, that's the prettiest idol I've ever seen. And I'm just never going to do that for you. Period. And it doesn't mean, by the way, that I'm always right. I'm wrong plenty of times. We've done plenty of conversations, often with Daniel Horowitz, which is the great irony here, where we question our own echo chamber. We question our own conventional wisdom. We ask inside-out questions. Are we the ones seeing this wrong? Is there something happening here we don't understand?
And I I don't think tell me I, I would love his definition of Trump bashing. Yeah. What would that be? I, do you think? I don't know. And politically, when he said it's because of people like you that we've gotten that we got eight years of Obama, I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. Um he's actually he's actually r- right not about us but he is he is admitting there that there is a worldview difference mm-hmm. it's actually because of us aligning with people like michael yeah and taking the lesser of two evils yes. argument that we ended up with obama yeah that's exactly right he is he is implying yes. that there is a worldview difference yeah so um, I, I don't believe I'm the master of my own fate in this world or the next. I gave up on that because I suck at it. And I handed my fate over to somebody who so far, anyway, has proven to be the only undefeated being in the history of the cosmos. And when I'm wrong, it's because I try to take back control of my fate and master it. Not because I haven't given it away enough. It's the other problem, actually. So, in the future, Michael, if you have something that we are specifically wrong about. I mean, I I think I just did a show two weeks ago where I said if I could sit down with every elected Republican in the country at a retreat, what I would tell them is, you actually need to align closer with the president and pass more of his policies. Didn't I just do that show? Yeah. If they're the biggest strategic mistake they're making is they're trying to insulate themselves from the anti-Trump backlash that there's no insulation from. And and by doing so, they're not insulating themselves from the anti-Trump backlash and they're also creating a backlash the pro a backlash from pro-Trumpers who are rightfully asking, "Why don't you support the president more?" Didn't haven't we done this show? Yeah, and I'm wondering if we had done an entire show about the coming red wave. Um, and then done another show um, criticizing or just being mildly critical about Trump. I wonder if we would have still gotten the same email. Yeah. The answer is probably. I'm also fascinated by the fact you don't believe Trump's your messiah and then you credit him with saving the republic in 18 months. And you're thanking God for him being your your civil savior. That seems to be an odd uh, dichotomy to hold on to those two things at the exact same time. Uh, to thank him for being your savior and then claim that he's not. So I I really think what this is about, Michael, is you and I have a different worldview and we may have some similar conclusions about the world, but they're not from the same premise. And I I just don't adore your golden chipmunk as much as you do. I think that's really the issue here. Uh, Danny Britton writes... What's your most interesting sports story? I like this change of subject. That's why I included it. <laughs> for, for me, during my junior year in high school, our running back, Rashad Langford, was recruited by Vanderbilt. The next year, which would have been the 04 football season, me and the rest of the seniors were invited up for Vanderbilt uh, for the Florida game that year. While there, we literally got the full recruitment treatment. We had an opportunity to tour and lift in the weight room. We walked out behind the team in their walk to the stadium with the fans and cheerleaders lining up both sides of the road as we walked down. We were in the locker room before the game. We were allowed on the field during the pregame warm-ups. That may may not sound exciting for some, but for an 18-year-old kid who only gets to see this stuff from a distance and having a chance and never having a chance to ever play on a division one team myself this was definitely one of the highlights of my life as a player and a fan i think that's a good question to ask todd what's yours your your biggest personal sports highlight that you've experienced oh highlight yeah our most interesting sports story good grief you well do you not know yours well, of course, I've got. Well, okay. the, the, yeah, of course I do. I mean, do you want me to give you time? I'm just a 46 year old man. These things, I got to dust off the mothballs like now. Like personal athletic achievements? Well, or? here's the thing. And to answer from my perspective, Danny's question, I used to work in, um, well, I still do sports now, I guess, with on the clock. But I mean, I used to cover sports at a high level intimately. So, I mean, I've, I've had all kinds of access to sidelines for major college football games and uh i've had access to locker rooms um uh you know i've i've 
you know, the, the Iowa's famous pink locker room. I, I was in there after Iowa State in 2002 when they're fifth in a row against Iowa when they came back at halftime from being down 24 to seven. And is I was that, in there. Is that the, the time when they get, you went out back to the stadium and yeah. an Iowa state guy flips off yes, the, the empty yeah, stadium. Yeah. I was, I was the last media guy out of there. Cause I, because I was with the official team magazine. I owned it. I was the only guy really allowed in the locker room. And I was in there with a guy named Jordan Carstens, who was Iowa state's best defensive player that year. Great guy. And he was so exhausted. He'd given so much out there at the Kinnick stadium field. He was so exhausted. That the reason he was the last guy out of there is he could not muster the energy to get up and shower. And I mean, he was. This is a six foot four, three hundred pound man, and he was he had he was spent, you know. And by the time I get out of there, they're they're cleaning the cleaning, the cleaning crews out there. They're they're turning all the lights off. There's one last Iowa State fan sitting there in that little corner of the Iowa State section by the visitors locker room, and I'm watching him as I get up. He's sitting near the top of the stadium. Uh, the exit to the top of the stadium and he's clearly just sloshed man okay he's out of it and i'm watching him the whole time because i'm worried this guy's gonna fall over and he gets up and he's literally almost all by himself in the stadium except for the cleaning crew and he gets up and he flips off he does a 180 middle finger to the whole kinnick stadium in his iowa state gear and he turns around and walks out okay so i mean I, I, i because i've covered sports for a living you know, I'm not not worked for ESPN or you know, but I've I've done this at a pretty high level. I've had a lot of that access that you were really excited about, Danny. So some of that bloom is off the rose for me. If I hadn't done this for a living, though, I I agree your story would be up there. So for me, I'm going to go to a personal moment and a life lesson that I learned at the ripe old age of 15. And we were playing a freshman boys basketball game. Wyoming Rogers was playing a, fre- a school that my high school doesn't exist anymore in suburban Grand Rapids. It was morphed into another school or something. But uh, we were playing a freshman boys basketball game, or maybe it was even JV. I don't remember. But we were playing Lowell High School. Um, and I was kind of, I was, you know, usually like the sixth man off the bench, part-time starter type. You know, good enough to make the team, but not good enough to, you know, lead the team, basically. And, but I was always one of the better three-point shooters on the team. And we were way down in the game, and two of our best players fouled out and were in foul trouble the whole game and, and then eventually fouled out. And so I had to play a lot more minutes. And the other team had no clue who I was because I hadn't started a game yet. And I'm just I'm just draining threes. They're, no, they're not covering me. They don't think I can make any shots. And so I've hit like five or six of these. And our team comes way back. We get the ball at the end of the game. The, 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 the guys I would normally sub in for have fouled out now. And I'm like, you know, it's one of those things where I'm unconscious. Like, open your eyes. Like, you, like the basket looks like it's as big as the Pacific Ocean to me. And so we, we are, we've come all the way back. We get a stop. We were down by like 20. We get a stop and we're down by two. And we have the ball to go with four seconds left. And our coach, Jeff Hudson, calls timeout. And I mean, this, I mean, he looks at me, he goes, he looks at me, all right, Dace, we're running the play for you. We're going to go, we're going to go for the win. We're not playing for overtime. We're going to go for the win. We're going to, we're going to run the pick, run you off screens, run and, and have you hit the three and we're getting out of here with a win. What side of the floor do you have the, uh, do you want us to take the ball out of bounds? Because since we had called timeout, he thought the rule permitted us to choose which side of the floor we wanted to have inbound the ball from. So I chose the side of the floor with my particular shooting stroke where I always felt more confident shooting from the right from the right arch than against my body from the left, even though we had called timeout close to the bench on the left-hand side. So we had run the play, and I'm like, I'm going to hit this. I'm all in on this. And we get out there on the court, and the refs don't let us take the ball out of bounds on the side of the court that we were going to run our play, and we have no timeouts left. And Jeff Hudson's over there screaming, yelling at him. They won't let it. And so I now have to adjust on the fly. The plan that I thought was going to work, that I had confidence in, is totally out now. And we can't call timeout, reset the play. We're all confused. I'm back on my heels. We can't inbound the ball. They, I, we finally get the ball. And I'm about 28 feet from the basket. And everybody's yelling, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. I'm losing track of how much time is left on the clock. And I launched it up there and went off the back of the iron and we lost. It missed. And here is the lesson that I learned. I learned two lessons that day that 
have seen, you've probably seen me utilize in my line of work, if you followed my career. One, you got to be much quicker on your feet. You don't get to dictate the conditions of everything. You have to be able to adjust, adapt, evolve on the fly. And that's the mark. That's really the mark of, of greatness. A lot of people, a lot of people can obtain greatness for a moment if things are set up for them to do so. And all they have to do is walk through a door. But can you do it when you're back on your heels? Can you reverse the momentum? When you're on the defensive, can you reverse the premise of your opponent and use it against them? Or once you're on the defensive, do you just lose all confidence and realize, well, it's not my day and you create a self-fulfilling prophecy? The other thing that I learned was, when in doubt, make a decision. Take the initiative. Solve your problems with aggression. It doesn't solve every problem, but the likelihood you will solve your problem by being aggressive is higher than you will by just letting something happen to you. And if I had been aggressive, taken the ball, and given myself a chance to square up, rather than panicking because the plan didn't work the way that I thought it was going to, and I let the ball come to me, I did everything wrong, everything passively. And I learned a very valuable lesson. Now, I was never good enough in sports to have that pay off athletically later on in life or later on in my high school athletic career, but it has paid off for me later on in life uh, as an adult. So that would be mine. How about you, Todd? Well, uh, I don't have the one that popped into my head that isn't quite, uh, there's not a level of depth of understanding, but I, uh, I never, when I was a youth, hit a home run at any mm. level in baseball, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm, I was always one of the smaller guys. I, you know, I'm just not a power hitter, never a home run, not, not when you're on the little league, the, the real little league diamond, uh, uh, so I playing men's over 30 baseball. Uh, so this is more than a, well over a decade ago. And by that time you're just programmed. And I'm thinking that there, I, I can't even conceive. I'm, I, I don't hit home runs. That's just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing in Newton, Iowa with, uh, this group of guys, uh, that I got together with when I first uh, moved to Iowa and uh, I get a three-two fastball, I, and I, I'm I'm the leadoff hitter. So uh, and it's the uh, so first at bat of the game, I get a three-two fastball, and I just turn on it, but not for a second. I knew I got all of it, but I, I so I just start cruising because you know this is mm-hmm. don't you know maybe a triple or something like that. Um, and so I. Uh, I'm running around and I come into second and I see everybody's just kind of standing there. And so I start, I stop, you know, I or slow down into second base and I'm standing there and the shortstop looks at me because dude, it's a home run. So the, my, a moment that I never thought was going to happen, but every boy's little dream, uh, it wasn't fully realized because I didn't, I didn't know that it happened. I didn't get the home run trot. You know, I just kind of pieced it back together like that. And so I guess, you know, you got to, uh, God has a lot of really great surprises for you in life. Not that he had anything to do with the bat, but, you know, he just, oh, there's just beautiful uh, serendipity uh, in life sometimes. Um, But there's always twists on it too you know uh the version of the story that we write for ourselves almost never is how it turns out um so it was a pleasant little nugget of i can't believe that didn't happen to a a man in his 30s aaron yeah um it's kind of tough i mean i was not athletically inclined football and violin were my jam in high school which is not a, a typical combo um and I'd really like to, to tell the story of, of the time that I knocked the, when I was a sophomore uh, and I was running the scout team offense and I knocked the biggest linebacker on the team on his backside. And uh, Coach, Coach um, Nowlin always reminds me of that every time I see him uh, nowadays. But I think the biggest lesson that I learned from sports was in eighth grade. 
and this is my favorite because it, it really has helped me uh, since then. Eighth grade was the only season that I ever played baseball, and I was terrible um, at it. Just I hit a triple on errors one time. That was the highlight because, you know, offensively because, you know, the first baseman threw the – no, I think it was the right fielder threw the ball right into the ground in front of him instead of, you know, at the second baseman. Um, but but there was one time where I had done uh, a pretty good job, and I think I've told you th- told this story before. I had done a pretty good job playing on the B team, and then the A team game was right after that. And um, I was just kind of ready. It was towards the end of the season, I think, and I was just kind of ready to sit and, you know, quit while I was ahead. Um, but there was our, our left fielder for the A team was really – struggling in this game and coach Randy who remains my favorite coach across all sports that I played um, no matter what the level um, even though he would just scream at us he was just a, such a good teacher uh, and he was really hard at us but he would back that up by showing and teaching us in such a relatable way that you didn't really you, you knew that when he was mad at you he wasn't just he just didn't take it personal because he knew he just wanted the best for you um, he uh, turned to the dugout and it was just me and another kid Samuel and he turned to me first and after the left fielder had bungled a play again um, had bungled a catch he looked at me and he said if I put you out there do you think you could make that catch and I said it's similar to you Steve mm, probably <laughs> I love this story <laughs> and then he turned to Samuel and he said uh, what about you Sam and Samuel said, put me in, coach. Samuel got to go out there, and he got to play with the A-team and not me. And that taught me a lesson. When you're presented with opportunities, don't hesitate. Just mm-hmm. say yes. Now, there is a point where you need to think of your own sanity sometimes, especially sure. professionally, and yep. you don't always say yes to everything. Yeah. And I had to learn that lesson as well in college. Um uh, but the, when you're presented with an opportunity, similar to you, Steve, don't hesitate. Make a decision and just say say yes hmm. so thank you danny we liked that uh, little uh, stroll down memory lane hey listen and ladies know this when in doubt with men ask them to talk about themselves right works every time indeed yeah uh linda sutrina i think i'm pronouncing that correctly says you know the people that view crtv have already basically voted too so you guys aren't much better than fox news and Shan- sean hannity when you criticize their messaging well um there's a lot of truth to that but not everybody here at CRTV is, a, is monolithic. You know, we have some shows that have totally different vibes than others. Um, and I mean, I get emails from people all the time that on one hand tell me I'm the only show at CRTV they don't like. And I'm the only show at CRTV that they do. And I'm sure everybody else here at CRTV to, some, to varying degrees gets those as well. So um, would I agree that the Republicans, no matter what they do or have done or will do in the future, will get 70 to 75% of my, and, and with all due respect, Linda, I think I probably have a better read on my audience than you do. I think that's a safe assumption. But um, do I think 70 to 75% of them, no matter what Team GOP has done, will do, uh, and, and won't do in the future, is going to go out there in November and vote for Team GOP? Yeah. Here's the problem, though. Team GOP needs 95% of my audience to do that. They, they, they won't win if 75% of my audience does that. They need 95% of my audience to do it. So, um, I don't think it's the same at, at all as Sean Hannity saying to his audience that already thinks Trump is great, that they're going to impeach him if you don't vote for him. But I mean, I mean again, I could be wrong about that analysis. You could be correct. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, everybody's a little uh, well except the sports question do you why do you think everybody's so sensitive right now I mean do you think maybe that um, a, a porn star trolling the, the the president that they've had to manage to somehow pound that square peg into the round hole of their consciousness and now he, he's being outed uh, because his manhood resembles a Mario Kart character. Do you think that's hit some? Well, you know, it's some, funny as you mentioned his manhood uh, uh, and lack thereof. 
he, I literally was just reading that whole big proclamation of finally declassifying all those FISA documents. Uh, is this he's like not, the he, transgender yeah, he's, yeah, thing? Yeah, he's, uh, not, he's not doing really that Really cool. Now. Yeah. Yeah, that's not Maybe happening. so stuff like that. I literally was just reading that. As, as, as you were talking, it popped up on my screen. Nate Madden from CRTV had just uh, retweeted that, that the president's not actually going to follow through on that. It, to these people, it's, it's not our fault that you made the moral calculus you did. It's, it just isn't. So you find a way to live with it in a fashion that is not this, basically the the equivalent of Trump tweeting at 5 a.m. That's what these letters are. And you know, what's funny too is how many times have, you, have I already said, if you if you were one of those people that voted for Trump on judicial nominees, you have gotten your vote, you've, you've, your ROI, yes. have I not? How um, many times yeah. have I said that? Is, maybe my mind is still foggy from the fever-induced delirium that was yesterday. Um, was your contention is that we're no better than Sean Hannity because we play to a certain audience? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's the difference, though. I would also say um, I'm not doing get out the vote. I have no interest in that. I'm not responsible for how you vote. You are. You vote. Guys, we live in Iowa. Yeah. Sean Hannity's doing get out the vote. I was simply saying if Sean wants to do get out the vote, I think there's a better way to do it. I think the I think the problem isn't. I, I don't think fear-mongering Trump's ba- that Sean Hannity's audience is already Sean ha- Hannity's audience because they've responded to peak fear-mongering. They're not they're not the voters that that are that are there's a doubt of them turning out. Now, I my interest is not doing get out the vote. My interest is in doing worldview promotion. And if in some and if the worldview promotion we do changes the way that you vote or encourages you to, okay, great, but that's on you. That's not my goal. So right away, there's a huge difference in our approaches right then and there. I, I, I'm not here to do get out the vote. That's not my job. You know, I don't, and I wouldn't take it if it was offered. You know, Sean is clearly doing get out the vote. When I say if Trump lo- if they lose the House, they will impeach Trump. That is an analytical proposition. If you from there from that point on, if you decide, well, that's why I got to vote for Trump, then you made that decision. I'm not here, and you'll know when I'm here to do specific get out the vote. That's called the last uh, Republican primary cycle. And I was pretty open and honest about that and told you all I work for the Cruz campaign. So y- you don't have to guess what my motivations or anything are. I'm always going to tell you. You know, my, my motivations right now, uh, get out the vote, is nowhere on my priority list. I, I don't work for the Republican Party. I'm not even a Republican. So yeah, w- the sensitivity comes from, I see it right now with a couple of my sports teams. When Michigan lost to Notre Dame again or lost to Notre Dame and lost to another ranked team on the road. People get really sensitive. The Detroit Lions. People get really sensitive. You know whose fans aren't really sensitive right now? Like Alabama fans. Right? They're not sitting around pouncing on everything because um, they don't have to. They don't have to be sensitive. Like they get sensitive when they like lose to Clemson in the national championship game and they call upon Paul Feinbaum losing their gourds. All right. That's when they get sensitive. So I think the sensitivity you're sensing comes from a lack of security. I've seen it with my favorite teams when you're uncertain about where they're at right now. You feel like, for example, in your situation, you're a little sensitive about Saturday night in Kinnick Stadium about right now after what you saw last week. Yeah, Feeling a little, a little sensitive? A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. You know, and so what happens to get sensitive is, hey, I know my team is struggling, but if you don't criticize them in the way that I'm, I, I am willing to accept criticism and affirm them to make me feel as if things are going to get better, then you're my enemy, right? That's what happens when you get sensitive as a fanboy. Correct. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Mylan says, the problem with calling the left's bluff is that people who are willing to violate thou shall not murder to kill babies are willing to violate thou shall not bear false witness and perjure themselves to protect the right to kill babies. Liars have no regard for the oaths. If you give the left the opening to file charges and remove Kavanaugh from the bench, they will do just that. Well, Mylan, there's, you, you, have a, you are right, but there's a problem. How do you know Judge Kavanaugh isn't guilty? How do you know Roy Moore is not guilty? I knew Roy Moore for 10 years. I promise you I know him better than anybody listening right now times 100. I don't know if he's guilty or not. I, I mean, I don't know. How do I know? I don't, I don't know what he did in 1979. I have no clue. Do you know what Brett Kavanaugh did when he was 17? Who knows? I don't know. 
You know, this is the danger we have. We cannot. That's why what you're what you're succumbing to, Mylan, is the temptation to fall into tribalism in response to theirs. Where everybody that's on my tribe that's accused is innocent and everybody that's on their tribe that's accused is guilty. Again, I understand why you are tempted to do that. My worldview does not permit this of me. You're asking me to do something I can't do. You might as well ask me to go home and cut off one of my kids' limbs. I can't do that either. It's not a question of will I do something. I cannot. It's not permitted. Like I can't violate the law of gravity. My worldview does not say I'm, I'm allowed to believe any charge. And I don't, by the way, I don't even like Judge Kavanaugh. We, you know, it's kind of funny we're losing that in all of this. This guy's not, mark my words, mark the freaking tape. He will disappoint you when he gets on the bench. Mark my words. Now, that doesn't mean, just because I think he's going to be a mediocre judge, that he should get character assassinated. We should want that for anybody's politics, Period. That's what my worldview says. My worldview says you don't get to unfairly assassinate anybody's character. Which is why, since she began refusing to testify, what have you seen me say on, on social media about this? Move on. Move on. Stop. They, the Republicans are still today, well, we'll move it to another. No, don't do that. You've given her a week. You told her Monday we're having a hearing. Show up. Stick to it if she doesn't. Move on. She had her chance. And she's had 35 years of chances. Move on. Similarly, what the hell was Ed Whalen of National Review doing last night, putting out the know. name of an unfor, un, un, previously Dude. unknown private citizen with Zillow maps to accuse him in front of millions of people of rape? And then my Twitter account was full of people. Oh, he must have more. This is four-dimensional chess. This is clearly an opening salvo. It's a trap. First thing I see when I'm on the freaking crapper this morning and I fire up my Twitter. First tweet in my timeline, Ed Whalen. Yeah, that was really dumb what I did last night. Totally inexcusable, and I'm sorry. There is no four-dimensional chess ever. No one's playing it. There's just terrible people doing terrible things terribly to other terrible people. That's it. That's all that's happening. And if, if, if you're not as offended by what Ed Whalen did as what they've attempted to do to Brett Kavanaugh, then stop following me. We're not on the same team. Don't justify that to me. Totally agree. So my worldview says, I'm to follow the truth, not join your tribe. I agree. Mylon, what you're telling me is the Philistines are bad people. I totally agree. But I'm supposed to remain in, among God's covenant people, not therefore say the Philistines are so bad, let me fight the, with the Edomites. No. So I agree, they are terrible people that will do these terrible things. I mean, Ted Kennedy's kid is out there talking about this. Mary Jo Kopechny much? Wow. I mean, you that got happened? Keith, yeah, that, that happened last happened. night. Keith El- Kennedy. You, yeah, you got Keith Ellison out there who's running for attorney general of a state when his girlfriend's bringing forth actual evidence. Who is also a Democrat yes. activist. Yes, yes. Nothing. There's, there's nothing to say to her whatsoever. So everything you're saying about the people doing this is true. But that doesn't mean I change. I, I'm not permitted to change what God says is right and wrong because people get worse. That's moral relativism. I can't do that. And that's what some of you are asking me to do. I don't know if you realize this or not. You're asking me to fight hell with hell. I'm not going to do that. There are other shows that will do that for you. Go there. There's no need for us to get angry at each other and argue. It's really simple. I will not do what you're asking me to do ever. Never happening. If you ask me to do it, I will say no. If you persist in criticizing me for saying no, I will push back on you with an extreme amount of prejudice. So stop asking me. They will. Then we will continue doing this dance. I'm not becoming like that which I'm opposed to. I have so many other so many other areas of my life where I have fallen short and have, have, have and am in need and will have need to repent of. I'm not adding this to the ledger. Got enough red in my ledger already. Thanks. Not doing that. You're describing Gollum. Yes. What you're what, basically you're saying, dude. You're right, man. That that. Golden calf blows chunk wads, but hey, let me show you this golden squirrel. Have you checked this thing out? This is the, this is dope. You haven't seen any. You haven't seen you haven't seen an, an idol like this. 
mean, this golden, this golden chipmunk is dope. Check it out. That's really what I'm being asked to do. No, is my answer. I, I'm gonna. I'm trying to be all Barnaby the Scrivener polite about it. I would prefer not to. No. But if you keep pushing and leaning on me, don't make me angry. You're not gonna like me when I'm angry. My answer is no. And if you persist, it'll be no. And then it'll just progressively um, get more aggressive and confrontational from there. No. Did I make that point clear, do you think? Should we move on? Got it. Okay. Sherry Kaufman writes, I'll tell you why I'm angry over this Kavanaugh thing. My daughter was sexually assaulted when she was 16. Democrats think this is a damn game. I agree with you on how the GOP should handle it, and I'm not invested in Brett Kavanaugh getting confirmed. I am angry over the dog and pony show I see happening for the sake of the left getting revenge over Garland. Sexual assault isn't a game. It really isn't. Right on, right on. Yep. Spot on. Wouldn't that's change pissed, that. Yeah, that's what pissed me off about all those actresses, those Hollywood actresses yep. coming out. And maybe they've been assaulted as well, but since they don't know the truth, and nobody does... They're doing a disservice to everybody who actually has been affected by this. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. There's just the amount, it, and it's not hypocrisy. Again, we're all hypocrites. Yes. Because at some level, we've, we're all sinners. And we, and, and we ask for a moral standard that we have at some point in our lives violated. That's why we need a savior. It's the lack of self-awareness. It's not hypocrisy. It's the lack of self-awareness. It's a year ago at this time, I would have let Harvey Weinstein do unspeakable things to me if he would give me a role. And I would have kept my mouth shut. And then when he did unspeak, when I, when I knew he was doing unspeakable things to other women, I was going to keep my mouth shut about that too because he was going to give me my next role. And now all of a sudden, you're freaking Joan of Arc? Really? That's where we're at now? Ed Whalen spent an entire week defending Brett Kavanaugh against a character assassination. And then he goes. And then he does. Then, yeah. he, then he pulls that last night. What in the Sam Hill? Let me tell you when. You, let me tell you what you're witnessing. Ed Whalen's a very smart guy. I've, I've gone up to, against Ed Whalen in the past. This is it. Idolatry makes fools of us all. That's what this is. It is idolatry. There's a reason why in Lord of the Rings, Gollum gets the longer and the more he loves and adores and clutches the idol, the more deformed, the more misshapen, the more pathetic he becomes. It's making us dumb. It's making us dumber. And what happens is a really clear, let's just put this out in the open thought, like what Sherry Kaufman just shared for us, gets lost in all of this. Gets lost in all of this. How much time do we have left? Um, we can do another one. All right, let's do one more. Neil Hess writes, with the epidemic of the, oh, I just remembered rape and sexual misconduct accusations recently, what are some general guidelines you think should be put into practice? In the legal system, the Graham rule is still king in day-to-day life to empower real victims of sexual violence and simultaneously protect prominent individuals from fallacious and nefariously motivated accusations. We have all seen that even what are later revealed to be false accusations can completely destroy lives as the court of public opinion does not bow to due process, but more often than not, the desires of the media elite who will be relentless to their foes yet sweep things under the rug for their allies and conservatives do this too how long did bill o'reilly get away with being a creep for example by the time the falsely accused can be exonerated the news cycle has moved on and we rarely hear of the falsely accused having their good name restored it seems to me this may well end up being the media veto to any candidate or personality that they do not approve of neil you have correctly diagnosed the situation in all of your questions you you are you you are clear minded and so sober minded and lion hearted in how you have assessed this. You're essentially asking us to be adults, Neil. That's your first mistake. Because adults can do multiple things. They can multitask. They can draw distinctions. They can simultaneously realize two things can be simultaneously true. Two good things can be simultaneously tr- true. Two bad things can be simultaneously true. One good thing and one bad thing can be simultaneously true. See, these are the things adults understand. We don't have a lot of adults right now. 
anywhere in either, in either belief system either camp either tribe we don't we got a lot of tales of the gold monkey my, my idol versus yours and adore the idol that of, that of, of my eye but you're asking the right questions here's how i've attempted to navigate this which you just described look for points where there can be clarity for example while while the process and this is what i was alluding to last friday when i pissed off some of my peers by drawing comparisons to roy moore the process by which kavanaugh was accused and the way it turned played itself out is exact and daniel horowitz talked about this yesterday on crtv it's exactly what happened with roy moore but the accusations weren't the same. I agree with that. I should have clarified that probably better than I did last Friday. I was speaking purely politically. The way that this came out, when it was very clear, Judge Moore had cleared the last hurdle. He's going to be on the US, in the U.S. Senate. Judge Kavanaugh had cleared the last hurdle. He's going to be on the U.S. Supreme Court. And now, all of a sudden, after how many different offices has Roy Moore ran for? How many different, they filed false ethics charges. He's been disbarred. He's been removed from the state Supreme Court. I mean, this guy has been given more of a proctology exam than just about any political figure in America has over the last 25 years. And most of it from other Republicans, frankly. I mean, Kavanaugh just went through probably the most grueling dog and pony show vetting of a Supreme Court justice probably since Clarence Thomas. He just went through six different FBI background checks. And now all of a sudden, here we go. What newspaper was, did the, uh, did the, the accusers uh, tell, uh, of Roy Moore tell their story? WAPO. And what, what newspaper did the accuser tell hers? WAPO. Yeah. The whole pro- See, that's what I was alluding to last Friday. The layout of this is the exact same. Now, the accusations aren't the same. And this is where I will be, I will grant a point. There were multiple women who had similar stories. Now, only one of them accused more really of assault. But there were multiple women that had similar stories of an older guy uh, that was interested in dating me when I'm underage and my mom told me I should take go out on that date. But the way that the accusations came about, their timing, the way they were rolled out, it's, it's the exact same playbook. That's why I was looking, I'm looking, what are points of clarity? For In the Roy Moore case, the point of clarity is what? The yearbook. It was the only piece of corroborating evidence by his most devastating accuser brought forth. What's the point of clarity here? Well, there is no corroborating evidence. There's just testimony. So the point of clarity is she comes forward under oath, tells her story. We find out if it's credible. If, if, if it is, if we find it credible, we, do, we have to consider it. If we don't, we move on. If she won't testify, we move on. So to me, we need to be looking for what are the points of clarities in these stories rather than doing what we did the first 24 hours, which is let's right away try to destroy uh, Professor Ford with fake allegations. Well, she's a professor that her, te- that her students hate. That story wasn't true, Matt Drudge. Well, uh, her, she's mad that Judge Kavanaugh's mom, I, st- I still have these uh, conspiracy website emails showing up in my inbox with these stories that have all been debunked. No, 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 no. We, we don't participate in any of that. We're looking for points of clarity. And since in this case, the woman has no other evidence other than her own testimony, then if she's not willing to put it into, uh, you know, into the arena, then there's nothing else to go by. We've got six FBI background checks. We move on. And you vote for him based on what you thought about him before these allegations came out, one way or the other. But... We're going to have more of these. I agree with you, Neil. And how we're going to approach them on our show is, where are the points where we can get clarity? And if the accused shows no, the accuser shows no interest in clarity. Kavanaugh, while I don't think he's a great, going to be a great Supreme Court judge, he has handled this week fairly admirably. He has opened himself up to any, to any point of clarity that's been broached. He has voluntarily submitted himself to. That should be entered into his defense, in my view. On the other hand, the accused, at first she told us she didn't want this to come forward. Then why did she take a preemptive polygraph test? She didn't want this to come forward, but then she went to the Washington Post. 
the, the story she told in the Washington Post and the allegations that were first revealed by her attorney, the, the t- not, not everything lines up in terms of the stories. And now we're now now the Republicans are like, well, maybe we'll push the deadline for you to testify to next Wednesday. Here's what we can objectively say right now. Right now, it's he said, she said between Judge Kavanaugh and Professor Ford. Judge Kavanaugh appears to be willing and flexible to open himself up to the scrutiny that would bring us to clarity. She's hesitant. Make of that what you will. And it's up to her to change it because she's the one bringing the accusation and has no other evidence other than her accusation. So we need to look for points of clarity. And when there are no points of clarity, we are participating in character assassination for or against people based on what they think of their politics. We're not doing that on this show. Final thoughts, Todd. Uh, There's just an a priori principle before that. If you are going to be a person who is capable of recognizing those points of clarity uh, when they come along, before that happens, you need to accept something. You need to accept that your side also has feet of clay and you have to be willing and able to hold them to a higher standard than anybody else not a lesser if you can't do those things you have no hope of recognizing or dealing with points of clarity when they come along that's well said todd um you know, there's we talk about how balkanized our culture is and our country is, and there are very few, if any, really. I mean, can you think of any places where that has not become politicized and just uh, become toxic in some form or another with politics? But I mean, this Friday, it's it is a Friday, and we're going into the weekend. I just I I on on a positive note, I think we can all come together uh, this weekend and root for America's team, the Iowa Hawkeyes. If no other reason, <laughs> because the Badgers suck. And there it is. He said he was going to get me before you came in today. I, I said I had reached a, a place of, well, I actually had told you this. Like, that, now they're kind of dead to me. You know, my team has so let me down. Like, now Iowa can have... I'm, just, I'm, I'm being dead on my emotions as a 46-year-old man with my team. But Aaron... I, and I told Aaron this, and he said, Oh, I can get you to care again. And he's trying. I give him credit. It's similar. He's, he's basically doing what the Democrats have done for Kavanaugh. This is the first time the Republican base has been excited and unified about his nomination. has been this week. In a way, right? It is. Yeah. It's true. Hey, everybody, if you have time, click like or subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, We would appreciate it. Give us a positive review if you like what we do. Thank you to all of you that have done those things. Have a great weekend until Monday. John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like you. 